Hey guys, so when you listen to the podcast and you hear the title SSAW Live Sports Podcast presented by the Craft Factory, you're probably wondering, what does the SSAW stand for? Well, it stands for Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide. It's a huge Facebook group community that only talks about sports all day, every second, every hour. And from there, make sure that you type in the letters SSAW or just type in the full name Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide on Facebook. When you click on it, make sure you put a request in. One of the founders will click on your request. And from there, you join a huge community that loves to simply talk about sports every day and every second. We talk about a wide variety of things from basketball to football to soccer to everything, you name it, even world wrestling entertainment, everything under the sun. We love to talk about it because we simply just love sports. So again, it's a Facebook group, a huge community that's waiting for you. Make sure you type that name in and we'll welcome you wholeheartedly. Welcome to SSAW. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to this quarantine edition of Diamond Talk, the place where even when you're inside, you're thinking about playing some baseball outside, man. Nick, Rob, how you guys doing? What's going on, everyone? Good to be here, here to record another episode of the Corona Series. <laughs> Nick, how you doing? Good, man. Another week down without the coronavirus myself, so feeling lucky and ready to go. For real, we're survivors that- right now. Yo, word, just like Destiny's Child, yo. Ooh. That's exactly who we are. I call Beyonce. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I-, I call none of them after that. You pretty much won. All right. Uh, I call Kelly. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm down for some Kelly. Who's the third one? I don't know who the third one is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not Michelle. Well, there's two uh, third ones. There's, they swapped them out, but Michelle was the first one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing a whole other thing. Oh, you're just your own girl band? Yeah, I just stopped singing. You just... <laughs> <laughs> Back up yeah, like you could be yeah, like you could be Solange. Nah, <laughs> nah. There's a lot going on there too. I'm just like yeah, we're, my all right. business, not doing much. <laughs> all right, man. So y'all, on this episode of Diamond Talk, we're kind of we're we're kind of gonna talk about baseball and like the the overall spectrum when it comes to you know we're, we're gonna start off the MLB basically and how the MLB deals with its youth right now. Kind of, you know, how MLB is marketing to its youth, how it's marketing to its teenagers, you know, what, you know, we feel MLB should be doing, what it could be doing, what it isn't doing, you know, and then we're going to kind of go down the, the road, you know what I mean? Um, you know, how does college affect the MLB, you know what I mean? Then even further down, you know, it's MLB is one of the only sports where you can get drafted out of high school still. And even further down to that, you know what I mean? What you should be doing as a little league or a little league parent, man. So, you know, with that being said, Let's talk about the MLB and, and how they affect, you know, the youth right now. And baseball's always kind of been one of those sports where it's kind of targeted to younger children. And even in today's game, when you see commercials on the MLB network, it's targeted, you know, at those kids. It's, it's supposed to be like a wholesome game. And, and yeah, you know, let, to take that further, though, Nick, man, let, give me your thoughts on, on what you think MLB is doing to promote baseball for the for you know children right now uh right now they're just putting a lot of money into youth leagues uh mostly in the inner cities bigger cities and i think they're upwards of 40 45 million dollars a year that they're recording as being donated to or you know put into feed the youth leagues and 
like that's good i just think they're doing there's so much more that mlb could be doing um you know rob manfred talks about how you're not going to kid to watch the game later in life if he's not playing it as youth and i've mentioned a couple times here on a couple episodes where that's exactly the right i mean you've got to get him to play but i really think that they're making the wrong efforts you know i don't get me wrong it's not going to be cheap to get baseball to be played everywhere it's an expensive sport i mean I haven't even looked at metal bats in a long time because my kids aren't there yet. Um, I've got, I have wood bats that they swing at home and those are even 50, 60 bucks, you know, for composite bats so don't break them. Um, but I think what really needs to happen is they need to put even more money into it and they need to do it. They need to find ways to get creative. Um, MLB has their own network. They should be putting kids wiffle ball tournaments. Wiffle ball is not expensive. MLB could host a Nebraska wiffle ball tournament and invite a thousand kids for probably i don't know ten thousand dollars and that would i think explore the game a lot just get out and hit a ball with a bat i don't know if you guys have seen the uh the viral video where wilson Contreras is taking batting practice off a nerf gun you guys seen that yeah i caught that it's like that that's what it needs to be like the players are doing fun things to get kids involved i mean you could sponsor wiffle ball tournaments you could sponsor t-ball tournaments and televise them so that kids might get to see themselves on TV. Um, you know, do more than just televise Little League World Series. Televise more of it. Televise Babe Ruth Leagues, Travel Ball, like whatever it may be. But also, you know, I think a really good thing would be like a bring a friend program where for every family that can afford to send a kid, MLB pays for another kid full bore to play on the same team. And I think that would go a long way for making it accessible, but they also need to get, you know, out of just the inner city and get into more of the rural areas where they have the room to play baseball. I mean, football, I used to play it on a hundred foot part of my street with my neighbors. You couldn't do baseball with that. So it's, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. I know that's the case and it's tougher, but they can get really, really creative really easily. And it wouldn't cost that much with football games, t-ball games, you know, MLB sponsoring tournaments where kids get brought in for not very much money. Um, even things like, you know, if you're a certain age and you play Little League, you get a full expense game. Like, not just the ticket, but you get the travel expenses to go there as well. Teams have the capacity to do this, and they don't do it, and they need to do it more often. The Giants actually do a really good job of it. Um, I believe they're at 20 games a year where they'll give at least 1,000 tickets to their Junior Giants program. And there's kids from as far south as San Luis Obispo that get to go up there. And that's a four hour drive. And they're compensating through the buses for the teams that go up there. Um, the A's do a pretty good job too. And I know, I believe the Yankees do a really good job of getting youth uh, to the game. So those things I think is what MLB needs to get more involved with and really promote and put out there, not for their credit, but to get more kids interested in doing it. Yeah, and, and you mentioned you mentioned a couple of things that I kind of want to keep the hit on here. I mean, you mentioned the expense of playing baseball as, as a child. Look, man, metal bats, they're, they're probably, if you, if you, if you want to have your own metal bat, which if you're going to practice, you probably should have your own metal bat. They could run you anywhere from a hundred to at times $350, depending on like the, the model you buy. You know what I mean? And then when you're a kid, that bat size only increases, which means when you go to the next level, you're going to have to buy another bat because you kind of, you know, you've outgrown that bat you bought before. So it really is one of those one of those sports where you're gonna keep investing. You have to keep investing, and you know we mentioned the difference between. Well, you mentioned you know the inner cities and 
as far as you know them getting more support and you know the rural families and things like that you know with the inner cities it depends which inner city you're talking about you know what i mean not all inner cities are getting that kind of support um the other problem that comes into with the inner cities is that unfortunately mlb wants it to be one of those things where it's kids who are disadvantaged however because there is kind of a a scouting aspect of it usually usually there's a some television you know you, you get on tv because of it what ends up happening is kids who have the money kids that can afford to do those things end up trying out for these teams and take advantage of that and play themselves but before we get into more of that man yo rob man what, what's your thought on this whole you know how you know the mlb treats its kids and where they're heading as far as that goes yeah, so I think that in terms of the treatment of the kids, I think there's a lot of, of areas that you can look at. You know, Nick touched on on how kids can or like the effort that MLB can put to get kids more involved. But I think you also have to look at it from a parent standpoint. You know, I think I think one of the things that we talk about, you know, a lot of episodes ago when we would cover, you know, how MLB can sort of captivate the millennial audience or, you know, that that kind of gap between you know, your 50 plus year old who's a huge fan of baseball and, and the younger people now who aren't really paying attention to, to baseball, the MLB has to work at capturing that audience because that audience is is kind of like the age group that's that's kind of, if you want to say up next in terms of having kids, you know, um, my one of my personal opinions is that you, a parent kind of has to be invested in the sport itself. Um, and a lot of times that gets passed on to to a child. And that's not that's not guaranteeing that a child is going, you know, to automatically love baseball um, because their their father or, or their mother love baseball. But I, th I think it is a lot easier when your father or mother is a huge fan of a sport and you kind of grow up with that. I think it's a lot easier to get integrated in that because um, that's kind of what happened with me. Um, I think Nick mentioned, um, you know, showing a lot of, of more baseball on TV. MLB is kind of a tricky a tricky sport because they have so many contracts with like television stations and things like that. Um, and, and, and in terms of, you know, making some type of advancement with technology, I kind of wrote down like they do have the MLB network, but I don't know how the logistics would work in terms of like a subscription based service um, for baseball. So I, I was thinking that was one possible idea because I think that the world is moving towards towards, you know, um, a lot more streaming. Um, compared to like cable television and, and local games a lot more than than they used to be. I think, you know, that's why you're seeing like, for example, the Yankees starting to potentially broadcast games on Amazon Prime. Um, so I think the, the world is moving towards a lot more subscription based services. Um, I think they can benefit from from younger people just getting more, more involved in, in the sport. Um, and, you know, you're focusing on on inner city kids for a sport that's focusing a lot on expansion. I would like to see them get more involved with other regions of the world. Um, we're talking about the Puerto Ricos. We're talking about the Dominican Republics, the Latin Americas. You know, these are these are a lot of communities where, like you mentioned, Daniel, you hear a lot of the um, kind of like the underprivileged narrative, you know, kids growing up hitting uh, like soda, soda bottle caps and sticks, you know, to learn how to play the game of baseball. These are communities that can see a good boost, you know, financially if the MLB got involved to kind of expand their programs. I know that a lot of players usually get involved um, and kind of build fields and provide equipment for players. But I, I think it'd be a lot better, um, you know, for the MLB as an organization to show um, bigger investment in these areas, especially with, you know, potential expansion coming, whether it be to London or Mexico or something like that. Um, I think that's how you get a lot of kids to play at a, at a younger age as well. 
Yeah, and you know, I don't think there's one answer. I think it's one of those things where when you really look at it, there's a lot of different directions this could go with if you're the MLB. You know, for instance, we, we mentioned you mentioned the international side of it. Well, look, everything is everything internationally now for most countries. It's kind of at the touch of your fingers. You know what I mean, so if I want to look up highlights or if I want to see something cool that somebody did, like it's right at my fingertips. And I, and I don't know how accessible that is for the MLB as much as other sports. And yeah, I, I just I just don't really know exactly how they're how they're doing that. Um, all right. And as, as Rob just mentioned, there is an international aspect to this. Um, we're going to try to keep it a little bit more domestic right now, just because the way the, the way it's set up right now, international baseball, you kind of have a few countries that are hotbeds for it. And yeah, that's expanding. But kind of just like the U.S., the U.S. is kind of like a microcosm of that where where it's it's not expanding as, as fast as some of the other sports. You know what I mean, like, for instance, basketball has absolutely like exploded in popularity. A sport like soccer is probably always going to be one of the more popular sports across the world because, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's really cheap to play. All you need is a ball and a couple of feet. You know what I mean? And if you play goal, you don't even need that. But let's let's take it down to, to the second notch of this. And, you know. On the domestic side, we have the MLB draft. The MLB draft happens once a year. It's like any other draft, with the exception that you probably have. How many rounds do you have now? You have, what, 50-something? I don't know if I, if any of you guys have the actual round number. I think it's 50. You think it's 50? Okay, let's go with 50. You have 50 rounds to get drafted in. And that means a lot of different things. You know, this isn't the, this isn't the NFL or NBA where if you get drafted, it means you're going to, you know, have any playing time in the major league level. And that hurts and helps baseball to, to a certain extent. But let's let's talk about the draft and you know how how the draft kind of affects the perception in the major leagues. So, for instance, a few years ago, a couple years ago, the number one overall pick in the MLB was Hunter Green. Cincinnati Cincinnati drafted him. He was a shortstop pitcher who threw over 100 miles per hour at the age of 18. This dude, absolute phenom, and he can still be an absolute phenom. The reason why we're talking about him in this situation though is because he's yet to see a major league field. If this was if this was basketball, if this was football, he'd already be some team's, you know, prime superstar that they're gearing up to be the face of the franchise. Granted, I'm not saying the Reds aren't doing that, but the way it works for baseball, he's going to spend years down in the minors, you know, tr- to, to work himself up to major leagues. And w- w- you know, with that being said, man, we'll go we'll go back to Nick. You know, what do you think about the draft system? How do you think the MLB maybe should change their draft system? What, you know, what, what's your just overall look on it? Um, so I looked up it. It's 40 rounds. There's one through 40. Uh, they have complementary okay. rounds, and then they have uh, competitive balance rounds, and then commissary picks. So, But <clears throat> I don't know, man. This one's tough because I think there should be an international draft as well because I don't think the way inter- – and I know we're not going international, but to fix the draft, I think players either need to have their own or – they need to be included in the current amateur draft. Um, I don't have with how many players get picked up and the chances you can take because you can get a Mike Piazza who is drafted as a favor to Tommy Lasorda and ends up being a Hall of Famer. I don't agree with that. I don't think he is. But besides the fact of what I think he is in the Hall of Fame, that's a pretty awesome story. Um, the thing that I dislike about the MLB draft is there are absolutely picks that are done as favors. I know players that were drafted that had no business being drafted. They didn't even start on their junior college teams or their four-year college teams. 
and they're getting drafted simply because of how tall they are, simply because they're left-handed, simply because one scout saw him hit a ball 450 feet, even though he strikes out 75% of the time. Like, it's it, if you just do one thing well, like, I've, always, I've told so many people, if I was three inches taller, I would have been drafted. Like, hands down, I would have been drafted. And I was never drafted because I was six foot, a buck 85, and I topped out at 93. As a right-hander, that's not something that's good. I had college coaches telling me I need to stop lifting weights because I'm too bulky for a pitcher. And I was like, yeah, I can do the splits. I can run a mile faster than anybody on the team. I can run a marathon. Like, I'm, I'm a good athlete. I'm not, like, too big to be a pitcher. I just don't throw hard enough. So the draft, in my opinion, it, it's such an imperfect science. It's almost beautiful. But I think that there are players, because of where they play, that don't get a good eye on them and i think there's players that have no business getting drafted that get drafted just as a favor you know a former player's son gets picked up you know uh, a scout who's been in the system for decades has a family friend whose kid finally made it through, through the time um the other thing that's really interesting about the draft in my opinion is the fact that typically college players come they get drafted and they don't get drafted as often as high school players because it's all about hitting a lottery ticket if I've got a kid who's 6'6", at 17, 18 years old, throwing 93, what can my team do if I've got all this technology versus a college player who, once you sign for a college team, you have to be there for three years before you can go back into the draft. So you're already giving up three years of your progression. So it's really interesting because the teams will take big chances. And I don't mind that. My biggest fault with the draft is in the later rounds, you really do miss out on players who probably should be drafted and then once you're not drafted it's really hard to keep playing and find a team to be competitive or to just keep going to tryouts all over the place because at that point you're either a young kid who wasn't good enough to go to college so you really don't have the money at 18 19 years old to really go to all these tryouts or you're a kid who's graduating college and you're too old to really be spending all that time doing that so life kind of gets in the way but overall, I think the draft is legit. I think 40 rounds is fine. Um, they're talking about, they actually, MLB put together a, um, a package or like a proposal to, I believe they're trying to get rid of 50 minor league teams. And it would wipe out basically all of your rookie ball teams from every team. And it would, I, I don't think any team could have more than six minor league teams. So like the Yankees have nine. So they have to cut out three of their minor league teams or three or four of their minor league teams. That would be dramatic because if you cut out all those players then you're really cutting out the need for 40 rounds and then you're really making teams pick who they think is not the best potential to go to the bigs so that would be really interesting i don't know if it's the right thing to do but that would change the draft quite a bit it, it definitely would but and here's my my thing with, with, with the draft it's one i think it's too long like i think you mentioned a lot of the problems with it as far as some of these picks being throw throwaways you know what i mean and I'll give you a perfect example of this, man. I, I know this kid. He played for one of the cities back in my hometown. He was heavily recruited. He was a left-hander. He was about like 6'2", 6'3". He was already pumping around 91, which if you're a lefty throwing 91, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get looked at to get drafted. No matter where you are, you're left-handed. That's like, that is your magic ticket. And this kid got drafted out of high school basically because they wanted to have that on him. They wanted to say, hey, look, you got drafted. We're doing you a favor. We want you to go to school, but we're drafting you with the intention not to spend money on you. We're drafting you because we know that this is a place where 
a smart person wouldn't take this offer. They would go to college. And what ended up happening, this kid takes a, this kid takes a deal. He's been in the minor leagues for, I don't know, let's, I think this, is, this might be his fifth year. He's obviously not moving up anywhere. But that, that, kid's, that kid's career is pretty much wasted. If he would have gone to college, odds are he could have gotten drafted after his junior year as long as he's still throwing over 90, which odds are he will be. So, you know, it, the draft is a lot of things like that. You know what I mean? You mentioned, like, the family, friends, knowing a scout. That happens a lot, too, where you're not necessarily picking a player you believe can play, but, hey, you got to throw this guy, you got to throw this kid a bone because you, because you know his family members and that you have that kind of power. And that's one of the things where analytics, I feel, will help as far as the draft process because certain teams are using that when it comes to drafting and using their the biometrics to see exactly how good these, you know, kids are before they before they draft them and, and i think that's something that only you know only helps as far as the, the the minor leaguers getting cut and teams being cut while i understand why that's a bad thing as far as there being less baseball to be played by some of these kids and there's, with that comes less opportunity i'm not totally against it i think with baseball we gotta get to a point where we have the best of the best playing and if that means that some guys can't you know extend their career their baseball career by two or three years. I'm okay with that. I, I think the MLB needs to focus on having the best product out there, which is why I'm, and I don't know if this will ever happen. I, I want there to be a time where guys that get drafted are playing on a major league field that same season, or maybe a season from that. And, and the reason why is because it makes the draft more interesting. You know what I mean? When, when I see a team draft, I don't know, I'm a Giants fan, Saquon Barkley. I'm excited to see what Saquon Barkley can do that year. You know what I mean? I'm not looking down the road saying, oh, what can Saquon Barkley do for me five years from now? You know what I mean? And with baseball, it's kind of one of those things where you drafted somebody, you drafted a great child talent like Hunter Green. You're probably not seeing Hunter Green until, you know, three years after that, you drafted him out of high school. But, you know, anyway, Rob, what, what are your thoughts on the draft, man? Yeah, you know, in, in terms of the draft, I think the, the MLB and um, the minors are kind of in an interesting spot right now um, because of their, there's a lot of disagreement going on. Um, you know, like Nick mentioned, they're probably going to end up um, cutting some teams. And I think that might end up being a benefit for them in the long run. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the NBA draft earlier. And I think the, the one thing that makes the NBA draft so intriguing is that you only have two rounds and 30 picks per round. So you have 60 picks in total. Granted, the NBA is a sport that has, you know, a lot less need for players um, because you're talking about rosters of 12 between 12 to 15 players to fill out rosters compared to baseball that now has 26. Um, so obviously they're going to have a smaller draft. But, you know, for the most part, like you you kind of get the you kind of get the gist of it from from the players that, that they end up taking. You know, they end up taking 60 players. Not every player turned into a star. Um, not every player turned into an NBA level player. Um, and yeah, you do have some players that eventually end up coming in um, a little later. But for the most part, you do get the the good crop of players, um, you know, to join the NBA. And I think that's the thing that the MLB needs to move towards. You cut out some minor league teams. There's a lot less spots to move guys um, to. So um, there's a lot less of those, you know, kind of like whatever picks where you can just end up picking whoever you want. Um, like you guys mentioned, that thing about favors is very, very real. And especially in those later rounds where teams do not care that much about who they take. Like I know I've known guys who have I, there was one guy who got um, drafted 
who um, one of my friends was very close with. And we know for a fact that the only reason he was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles was because his dad worked within the organization. I mean, so there are like a lot of favors that go around, especially in those late rounds. And a lot of the times you're not going to even see these guys make the major leagues because to be honest with you, they're not major league level talent. Um, That's also not saying that guys that get drafted in later rounds can't develop into that. But, um, you know, I think with a smaller draft, a lot less picks, teams will tend to focus more on talent rather than than need or um, maybe if you, if you want to kind of say like projects, you know, they, they might focus more on on proven talent. And, you know, in terms of, of getting up to the draft, something that I just wanted to talk about a little bit, too, is I think for a lot of guys who might not necessarily be seen as draft level talent, I think some of the not necessarily blame, but, you know, something that you can look at is coaching, because we talk about guys who might get drafted straight out of high school, guys who might go to college um, and then, you know, go to the MLB draft and then go to the minors. I think every level that you look at, coaching is very important because it can make a difference between a guy being like a really good player and a guy being a really bad player. There are guys who have talent, but don't necessarily develop that talent to their max level because they don't have good coaching. And then there's other guys that have less talent who have great coaching and can take advantage of the full talent that they have. And I don't think a lot of people tend to give enough credit to, to the impact that coaching can have on a player. Cause like, I know like when I was going through, through, you know, this is a little different, but like, for example, when I was going through little leagues all the way up to, you know, when I was 18, 19, playing for some of these baseball teams, there were guys that I, that I have been playing baseball with since I was like eight years old. And when I was younger, under some like bad coaches, um, you know, you don't start to realize that until you're a little bit older age, but under some bad coaches, like these guys, like were some of the worst players on the team, you know, essentially bench players. And then here I am, you know, 16, 17, 18. And now these guys are like in the starting rotation with me, um, you know, because this this coach you know saw the potential in him of being a pitcher and is working on him to be a pitcher and has you know helped him figure out his stuff so i think that's an important thing to look at as well um that can impact you know a player a player's place in the draft and how that player continues his development once he's drafted yeah and you hit on something that's really important man like out of all the sports there is out there baseball in baseball like athleticism and like talent only takes you so far like baseball is a skill-based sport so regardless of how athletic you are, man, you can have LeBron James out there and he would probably suck. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? We saw Michael Jordan play and, you know, we talked about it before, arguably one of the best athletes in the world during his prime. He was absolutely trash at baseball. Like, like granted, you know what I mean? The fact that he hadn't been playing for, you know, whatever amount of time, like, yeah, you have to take that into consideration too, but you can't, you can't be a, an amazing athlete and that alone be the reason why you're a baseball player, man. We see amazing athletes fail at the sport all the time. You know what I mean? And a lot of that goes, you know, back to the kind of like the cost of playing baseball. And I'm sorry, if you want, if you want your, your kid to play baseball at, at a serious level, you have to give them, you have to give them lessons at some point. You know what I mean? It, it's not enough to, to just train in the backyard and unless you know what you're doing. If you're a parent who knows what they're doing, and you really do know what you're doing. You're not just one of those parents that played Little League until you were 12 and now you think you, you you know how to play baseball. No, like, if you really know how you're doing, sure. But that's not everybody. That's actually not a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like, I've said it before. Like, I've played college baseball. I've I've played a little bit past college. And, like, I've always said, if if I have a kid 
that kid will get a hitting coach if I can afford it. I will not be teaching my kid how to swing. You know what I mean? There, there are just other people who are better equipped to do it, to doing that. And that's the thing, though. It comes with a cost. If you're a parent, you know what I mean? Are you going to spend money on your kid to develop him like this? And that's not an option for every parent. You know what I mean, some parents literally can't. There's no money in the budget for that. So as talented as that kid might be, he's going to have to find his own way, which isn't always a bad thing. But he's always going to be behind someone who had that kind of formal training, even if that person is less athletic. And we see it all the time, especially in the college level. And on the college level, you'll take a kid who is who can who has certain skills down, who can put the ball in play, even though you know you're not getting anything special. You rather take that because you know what you're getting than take a kid who has a talent, but is kind of wild with it because you only have so much time you can develop him for it. You know. And, and that being said, let's move on to our next thing, and that's. That's the movement from from high school to college. Now, Nick, we'll start back with you, man. I, you know, I, you were in high school a little bit longer than than than, than uh, me and Rob were. A little bit, a couple decades. C- a couple decades, not too bad. <laughs> but I'm sure you still speak to to what's happening at that level today. You know, wh- what do you see when you're when you're a high school player trying to get to the next level? Well, that's so. That's the thing is the high school game has actually changed significantly. I think it's the college game that's pretty much the same. Um, I mean, your college players are the players that didn't have the one thing good enough to get picked up by a major league team. And the Division One teams have such strict academic regulations, and for good reason, they should, that um, <clears throat> they don't always get the best players. Sometimes the best players go to junior college so they can stay local or they don't have the money to go to a four-year. They didn't get a scholarship for whatever reason. And so a lot of, a lot of players can go to junior college first or they go to a Division Two an NAIA a Division three school because Division one has, they just have so many different regulations that make it more difficult for a talented player who maybe doesn't have the smarts to really compete for all four years. So I don't know if we want to get into the college side more or the high school side more, but from the high school side, it's become very specialized. There are coaches that if, if your kid's good enough, they're going to tell you to not play football in the other season, even though they might be the starting quarterback on an all-state football team. And they really are now competing for these athletes, which is sad because, I mean, I bet you there's so many kids now that could be the next Bo Jackson, the next Deion Sanders, you know, the next Ron Gant, the guys that can play both sports professionally, but they're getting pulled away from that at such a young age. And it happens before even high school, but especially in high school, um, I know when I was in high school, I got onto a travel ball team for the summer. And, you know, that was that was probably the right amount of throwing for me as a pitcher to really be noticed. And that's how, you know, I got any sort of looks to go to any sort of tryouts, you know, for any major league teams. And that's how I got, you know, looked at by some colleges. And so it's it's crazy because you can't. I was from a very small high school. My graduating class, I think, was 180. The total kids in the school at the most was 1,000. And there were schools around me that were graduating 2000. So like my, my competition level, everybody was better than my team. And it's great to be the best player on your team, but if your team isn't that good, you're not going to get looked at. So now you're talking in some areas, parents are getting transfers to go to more competitive schools. So their kid can be looked at and they're taking it away from their friends and the game already is like a job, but from a, from a skill standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, I know a lot of high school coaches now, obviously that's my age group, the 40 year olds that are now coaching because they can't play anymore. 
that are doing the game right and they're really trying to teach the fundamentals of the game as a former player get that all-star type player that the one that really shines above they're either looking to transfer out if your team's not good enough or they want their shine and they're not really necessarily team players and they're also getting heat from athletic directors colleges to play this kid more and you know showcase him more like don't start him on this game of the week on a Tuesday, even though it might be his normal game, start him on a Saturday because that's the team that's better. We want to see him the better competition. So high school, from what the little bit that I know about it right now, it seems that it's turned into more of kind of a transactional business to really get them to the next level versus kind of just having fun with your friends. And that's shitty because school should be the last level where it should be fun with your friends because you have the summer ball teams, you have the Babe Ruth, you have the travel baseball, you have the little leagues that you can play to get recognized. High school should be the kids you grew up with, middle school and elementary school that you're just having fun playing the game with. And it's kind of getting away from that. The instruction is getting better though. I mean, the technology, you know, the nutrition, the specialization, you're getting better kids but it just seems like it's more of a transactional business than it is really having fun. Yeah, the instruction definitely has gotten better. I think the one difference we see now than we did maybe, you know, a while back is there's a lot more people who went to college or played some form of minor league ball who are giving back and actually coaching at the high school level and coaching at, you know, summer ball teams and giving that kind of instruction, man. Before I get into what I think about what's happening in high school, man, Rob, what, what do you have? Yeah, so uh, I, I think the thing with, with high school, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't been keeping up too much with, with what's been going on with high school, but just to give a, an example, I think high school for me is just where you kind of just further develop the fundamentals of the game. Um, you know, I think, I think high school is kind of a time for you to, um, you know, if I'm looking at you as a pitcher, for example, I think that's kind of where you have to go in and you know you're coming up from eighth grade so as a freshman in high school i think your objective should be to kind of just master your fastball master your changeup, and focus on those two pitches i know that's how it was when you know when i was in high school and we had baseball tryouts like that was the first thing that they told you is especially if you're a pitcher they're like for this whole month all you're gonna throw is fastballs and change-ups fastballs and changes fastballs and change -ups. like later on when you're a sophomore or whatever like you can start you know further further working on on your breaking stuff i think that's an error that a lot of parents nowadays do that they start their kids working on breaking stuff at a very early age even before they get to high school um granted really bad breaking stuff but still breaking stuff which can which can impact your arm um later on um yeah but in, in terms of high school i think i think you do have your your like travel you know like your travel teams and things like that um but yeah, you know, kind of how like Nick mentioned, I think high school is just is just a time where you should be able to, you know, develop these relationships with, with your friends um, while at the same time developing your baseball skills. Um, I think it kind of differs region to region. Um, there are some states in the United States that have, um, you know, for the most part, what's considered to be like top tier uh, baseball programs in, in the country. I, I think those those certain schools that have those programs um, kind of see their, their kids kind of sticking to that program and, and kind of like staying a little bit more away from, from the travel teams. Um, but you know, th for those kids that might not necessarily have that top tier program, then yeah, they are going to go and spend more time on those travel teams, um, to further develop their skills. Um, but yeah, high school, high school is a little tricky, man. 
um, because you can you can be a, a really top talent and there I feel like there used to be a bigger a bigger desire from MLB teams to take kids straight out of high school, which I think added on to the pressure uh, maybe like a decade ago of how kids were performing in high school. I, I feel like kids um, were being I, th I think kids, in my personal opinion, um, I know some people's opinion might be different, but I think kids were being pushed harder a decade ago in high school in order to make that leap straight from high school to the MLB, you know, to get drafted to the MLB and kind of just skip college altogether. But I think there there's an overall lesser desire from teams to take kids straight out of high school. I think I was reading I was reading this thing earlier that I was talking about, like in the early 2000s, like the the amount of of like if you look at an MLB draft, uh, for example, the amount of kids that were taken out of high school was like 40 percent. And I think like a year or two ago, it was down to like 23 percent. So it's it's from 40 to 23. It's like it's a pretty big drop um, in terms of, of teams that are taking kids out of high school. Um, so I think high schools are kind of just looking to to kind of further develop those kids to kind of make that transition into college before, you know, making that straight leap into the MLB. And you're right about that, man. Like it's been talked about before. Uh, major league teams are sort of making a concentrated effort. And this isn't this isn't like concentrated effort might be a bad word for it. But the way that they're scouting and the way that they're utilizing all their analytical tools, they're geared a lot more towards taking college players. One because they're safer; they have a lot more data on them. Uh, second, there's just there's just a lot less risk with both college players. You know what I mean? Like four years is a lot. You know what I mean? Three three years is a lot. But the, my biggest thing with, with high school baseball right now is that when you get specific and just say high school baseball, and this means you know baseball during the high school season, it is almost irrelevant to what teams are scouting for now, even what colleges are scouting for now. Everything. Everything now, as far as when you're in that high school age, is about tournament ball. And that helps some kids, and that hurts a lot of kids. You know what I mean? Because, look, these tournaments are expensive. You, you know, we, we've heard of, we've all heard of the perfect game tournaments. We've heard of um, the Under Armour tournaments. We've heard of all these things. You know what I mean? Under Armour All-Americans. The, the only reason you become an, all, an, an Under Armour All-American is if you're at Under Armour showcases putting your talent out there and guess what that costs a lot of money you know what i mean they don't just pick up a kid and say hey you're good let's go check you out over here no it's a lot of travel it's a lot of dedication not just by this by the kid yeah the kid has to be good but these parents got to put a lot of time and that's put a lot of money in it's, it's an investment like no other you know what i mean and it's an investment not only for baseball which you know obviously they hope that that kid plays baseball past college but it's also an investment to get them into college and the way development works now, man, these kids are, they're not practicing. They're not gearing up to win. These kids care more about how hard they throw than if they win games or not. Because Nick Lutz is very early on where if you're a kid, if you're an 18 year old and you throw 95 plus, it doesn't matter if you have no idea where it's going. You're getting drafted because you have a 95 mile per hour. Fastball. You know what I mean? You're going to college because there's going to be some coach somewhere saying, oh, I can teach him to throw strikes. And I've been on the other side of that. That doesn't always work out. You know what I mean? But those kids are going to get the opportunities. You know what I mean? Um, there, there's this guy on, on Instagram. His name is Josh Heenan. He's one of the bluntest people there is. And what he does is he's a, he's a trainer. And what he says is very true. If you want your kid to play college baseball, if you want your kid to play at the next level, it's all about velocity. Like, yes, you want your kid to be able to throw strikes. 
but you can be you can throw 95 miles per hour or, or let's let's take it a bit further you can throw 90 miles per hour be absolutely wild throw maybe five innings your senior year and there's a better chance of a division one team looking at you than if you throw 82 you win every game that season and you're absolutely lights out with like a 0.5 era you know what I mean, and is it fair? Eh, you know, you make the discussion, no, yes fair. or no. Eh, uh, uh, there you go. That, that's that's your side of it. Some people that it is fair because you you're trying to project into the next level. But my, my point is though that the game's different now, man. It's it's no longer about you know getting winners. It's about do you hit these metrics? You know what I mean? How how fast is the ball coming off your bat? How fast is the ball coming out of your hand? Do you look the part? Great. Do you look the part has always been something that that teams look after. But, you know, now more than ever, it, it's more, can you hit those numbers? Can you hit those metrics? Can you project like the other players I projected to the next level? You know what I mean? Um, you know, that being said, man, like there is, there is something that uh, we wanted to talk about that was kind of asked in the group message. And that was about what we believe, you know, what level do you think pitchers, I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that, is how do you think we should condition young pitchers? You know what I mean? And our friend, our friend and uh, obviously big part of SAW, you know, he asks us about, you know, what do we, what did we think parents should do with their young pitchers? You know what I mean, specifically their arms. And, you know, let, let's go around, man, because Nick, you're, you're, you're a pitching dude, so obviously you should have an opinion on this. What, what, what advice would you give parents when it comes to, to, Managing their kids' arm and so their workload. I just want to say real quick, since we didn't really go too much into college, man, if you have a college team close to you, go watch. I don't care if it's junior college. I don't care if it's underhand soft toss. You want to see the game played at a competitive but fun level, go watch your college players. Those are the kids that are trying their asses off to get the next level. And that's when you can really start seeing professional talent. And I've talked about a guy I played with before, Dale Thayer. I absolutely saw what a Major League Baseball player was. And the first time I saw him throw a ball, I knew he was a Major League player. And I played with a lot of great players through my career when I played. Clearly the best. And he he did the best in his career in Major League. So go watch your college teams locally. You will see how the game is supposed to be played along with some good talent. Uh, sorry for the sidetrack, but going to you know conditioning your kids. Are, if, if there's anybody out there listening and you've got you know a young kid either yours or you know somebody coming up that you know that's a family friend whatever it may be do not let them throw anything but fastballs and straight change-ups until they are 14 years old and i'll tell you the exact reason why is one you're going to build up their arm strength correctly <clears throat> and two honestly the art of pitching is about deception unless you have a mariano rivera cutter or a randy johnson slider or a Chris Carpenter curveball, your off-speed pitch is not going to make you. It's going to be how hard do you throw or how well do you locate if you don't throw that hard, and then do you have a changeup that can fool somebody. A good slider, a mediocre slider, a mediocre curveball, slurve, whatever you want to call it, those pitches aren't good because they're movement. They're good because they look like a fastball long enough to fool the hitter, and then they're off-speed enough to make the hitter miss the really good sliders, the really good curveballs, the Barry Zitos of the world. Yes, those pitches, but you're not, how many pitches do we really know 
that are known for their breaking ball. There's not a lot. Most of your good pitchers are known for your fastball and then unoff speed pitch. And it's not for the break, it's for the off speed. So, you know, if, also let your kid play other sports. They need time to recover, they need time to build up the rest of their body as well. Make them be well rounded athletes so their body recovers correctly. A kid at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old should not be playing baseball from February until November. They really shouldn't. And if they are, it should not be competitive the whole time. It's okay to play catch year round to keep your arm, you know, the mechanics of your arm going, but you should not be throwing off of a mound. Um, I mean, really, if I could keep every kid on flat ground until like the year before they go to the 60 foot mound, which I believe now is, I think it's still 13. So 12 years old, you know, 11, 12 year olds are still at a 45 foot mound. I would not put them on an incline at that point. I would leave them flat ground. It's just, the, it's not built for the arm. Throwing overhand is the worst motion in all of sports besides getting hit by Ronnie Lott. Like that's obviously a bad decision, but um, you know, just throw long toss, let them play multiple positions, let them play other sports. Um, maybe the greatest arm in the history of the game, Nolan Ryan, 23 years, throwing 95 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour, you know, his whole career, even at 44 years old, he threw a no hitter at 43 years old. He warmed up with a football game. That should tell you something. There's something to doing multiple sports. And don't get me wrong, Nolan Ryan is a once in a lifetime, literally once in an ever player and arm. But, you know, take note of it. Like he played football. He played catch of the football every single day. Found value in that. And a lot of your great arms do stuff differently than what you would think. They weren't playing baseball and throwing bullpens 10 months out of the year. They were playing another sport. They were playing long toss. They were just playing catch. So don't run your kid's arm into the ground. And that just kind of goes through their body in general. Like, you know, if you're hitting year round and you're really taking it seriously rather than just having fun out there, the body's going to wear down. You got to give the time. You got to give the body time to do other things and learn other movements and recover and, and you know, be stronger in other areas so they can be strong for hitting or pitching when the time comes. Yeah, no, 100%, man. And and I'll never forget this. One, because he was a major leaguer. Oh, he is a major leaguer. And two, he, he just, he's someone I, I respected growing up. But Todd Frazier, man, I got, I was lucky enough to meet this dude face to face, have a little bit of conversation with him. And that's the one thing he told, he told the kids at the group, at the event that we were at, he straight up said, look, don't play one sport all year round. You know what I mean? Look, you're young. First of all, you want to have fun. Two, you want to be a great athlete and you're not a great athlete if you focus on just one sport. You know what I mean? Think about the different ways that infielders move. Think about the different ways a pitcher has to move sometimes when they have to field the ground ball. I mean, you can tell the guys who are just pitchers because they look absolutely awful. Then you see the guys who look like they're natural fielders and fielders, and that's because they're just straight up athletes. You know what I mean? And and I'll get to the throwing after after I let Rob speak, but if I were to say one big overarching thing is look, stop specializing. Let your kids be kids, let them find out what they love. Let them play literally everything. You know what I mean? They're not gonna get worse for it. You know what I mean? There's a time, there's a time in their in their career where they will have to specialize and pick something to be serious about. But until that point, which by the way, isn't like freshman year of high school, you can play different sports, I I believe, at least even until until you get to college, depending on how given athlete you are. So let them be out there and play, man. Oh, Rob, what, what do you got on this topic? 
Yeah, so, you know, Nick mentioned it, and it's going to be the third time we mention it on this episode, but I think, especially for young kids who, who are throwing, like, you just have to stick with fastball and changeup for the most part um, at, at a young age. Um, you know, I think I think a uh, kind of interesting thing to look at um, from a personal standpoint is we spend so much time talking about, you know, the the potential of, of gaining a younger audience for the MLB or, or younger kids um, becoming more engaged. How, how can the MLB get uh, younger kids more engaged? And to be honest with you, now that I'm thinking about it, like partially some of some of it is like a double edged sword, because I think that the problem that some young kids have is that they pay attention a lot to what major leaguers are doing. And a lot of kids at a young age just kind of want to jump straight to that. And they they miss a lot of the steps that it takes to get to that point. So a lot of kids, um, while it's great for the sport, you know, while it's great that, that young kids are are a fan of the game and, and have their favorite players and they like imitating their, their favorite players, that imitation can sometimes hurt them. You know, how many times have we seen clips online, you know, of, oh man, this guy's breaking ball is filthy, you know, like, and now, now young kids want to learn how to throw a curveball like that. You know, they want to learn how to throw a curveball sometimes before they even, they even have an effective changeup an effective fastball a fastball that they can locate in the strike zone you know like so i i, I think sometimes they they just get ahead of themselves instead of, of sticking to to the fundamentals um i think that's something that i would you know some advice that i give to parents is is definitely just have your kids lock down the fundamentals first um but at the same time you know kind of the 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 sad truth about it is that it goes back to the conversation that we were having before where I can sit here and tell you to have your kids learn the fundamentals and your kid can be a really good player, but your kid might not throw that hard. And a kid who doesn't like who who's not as good as your kid might like get picked over your kid. Like, and that's the thing that sucks because sometimes like we discuss, like a lot of people tend to focus more on velocity, but you know, that's something that you can work on. Like if a guy can throw really hard, but can't locate his pitches, like, yes, you can work on that, but there's also no guarantee that that, that, that guy is, go is gonna learn that, you know, all the time. Like we've seen guys in the MLB who throw hard, but like have like a really high walk rate, you know, like can't locate Rick pitches in intense moments and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, from a personal standpoint, even though he overpowers hitters sometimes, Aroldis yeah. Chapman gives me heart attacks. Like, Aroldis Chapman gives me heart attacks. Like, sometimes he just comes in, and I'm just expecting three straight walks. Like, I get it. Like, he's getting better with his breaking stuff. But that fastball just sometimes is like ball, 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 ball. And I'm just like, man, like, you have all that velocity and can't locate. Like, that kills me sometimes. But that's the sad reality. Like, I, I, I... It's still my personal opinion that people should work on learning how to locate. Like, that's how I was when I was a pitcher. Like, I like I like having control. You know, I wasn't that hard of a thrower, but I like having the ability to locate pitches in certain locations, make you chase, make you have weak contact. Because guess what? I, my opinion of a pitcher, or at least the way that I was raised as a pitcher, is there's a reason you have a defense behind you. You know, like those guys that are behind you aren't there just to stand there and for you to strike out every single person that you face. You make your pitches. If the hitter hits the ball, that's why you have a defense. Make the defense play defense. Like that's why they're there. So if you can get guys to ground ball, hit weak fly fly balls or whatever, that's what your defense is there for. And I think that's what a lot of kids are, are missing out on. They don't really learn the fun the fundamentals and they kind of just focus on velocity, velocity, velocity. And while that's great, 
you know, it's going to get to a point that where, where you get to a certain point, now you're sitting in the major leagues and you have all this velocity, but you don't know how to locate pitches. Um, that I, I think that's going to lead you to some trouble. Um, once again, you could get trained and you could get better at that, but it's also not a guarantee. Yeah, and I'll say this, man. And the reason why not just MLB and like Major League Baseball likes velocity, same thing for like the college level and even high school. It's a lot easier to be in a role as Chapman than it is to be a Greg Maddox. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's a lot easier to find guys that throw hard and hopefully get away with something than guys who might not throw as hard but are just so pinpoint. You know what I mean? Like, I, even even right now, like, I can only really think of maybe what? Cal uh, Hendricks out in Chicago, maybe Dallas Keuchel still, who can just straight up dot up. And we see guys coming up and down from the ma major and minor leagues just throwing. 99 to 100 who they, they might be good for a season if that and they'll get you those outs for that year but then after that they kind of turn to shit and you know last thing on the, on the throwing thing because it is, it is something that's near and dear to my heart um if if there's one thing i could do in my life it's just throw the shit out of a ball and if i if i were to give advice to to kids and parents take throwing seriously you know what i mean when when you're out there and you're practicing and i'm not and i don't mean like anytime you throw like a, a football or anything but when you're out there on a baseball field, take throwing seriously. You know what I mean? Have purpose behind every throw. If you're gonna throw some, if you're gonna throw a ball, even if it's warming up, throw it hard. Granted, I'm not saying like max out your arm every time you throw a ball, but throw it with purpose. Don't just throw it to get it over there. Don't just throw it because your your friends over there 20 feet away from you. Throw it, throw it on a line. Throw it like you would in a game. You know what I mean? Um, I know Nick mentioned this. Long toss. Long toss is your best friend. <laughs> The only way to get better at throwing, guess what? By throwing. You know what I mean? Use long toss. First of all, it's fun as hell to see the ball, see, see yourself throw a ball as far as you can. It's one of the funner feelings I ever had in my life. You ever throw the ball over a wall? You know what I mean? Um, like from home plate? Nice. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's like the one thing I was good at, dude. Like if, if I was a one-trick pony, that, that would be my trick. Um, but what's it called? You know, we, and, and not only that, guys, like there's so much information out there on the web right now. There's some good information. And there's some absolute trash information. You know what I mean? Know what you're looking at. You know, examine the sources. You know what I mean? Don't just go willy nilly because you found some dude that throws 99. Now you want to do, you know, backflips because they say that that's what helps you throw harder. Like, no, like really research. You know what I mean? I think right now we're at the best age of strength training where we have guys that can absolutely tell you to to a T what you need to do to get better at certain metrics. So like, for instance, velocity, there's this dude, again, his name is Josh Heenan, who I absolutely love. He has what's called a 90 mile power formula. And it's not a gimmick. It's not something that's like, oh, you know what I mean? If you wake up at 5 a.m. and rub an egg on your shoulder, you'll be throwing 90 by July. No, it's it's, it's hard work. It's it's how much strength you get behind your legs, How how to you know, stretch out properly to activate all your muscles, things like that. And that's good science. And there's a lot of good science out there right now. We're probably at the best age as far as information goes. So if you're a parent, man, I, I think you should definitely go out there and look for those things. You know what oh, I, mean? quick, I want to, I want to add a couple. And you know, so, that being said, I think uh, I, go for I it. topped out in my career at 93 when I was in junior college throwing fastball sliders, I was 89 to 91 topped out at 93. And then when I went to Chico, I stayed, I was sitting 86 to 89, topped out at 91, throwing fastball changeups. And what I would say for parents, coaches, 
you have to recognize you are going to have some kids that will never throw 95 miles an hour. I was a workout warrior. I literally ran a half marathon. I could run a mile in under six minutes. I could squat 500 pounds. I could bench 300 pounds in college. Uh, I could do any any weight room activity you wanted, any box jump. Like I could compete with the best athletes on the field, but I topped out at 93 in my career. My body, my arm, and I was flexible. I literally could do the splits. Um, I was strong enough to have hang off my arms, stretch it out. And <clears throat> from a physical standpoint, I really did everything right to be able to throw 95, 98 miles an hour. I was trained by Mike Kruko as a kid for a couple summers. I played junior college baseball with his son. Like I did everything to be able to throw 99 miles an hour. My body just wasn't going to do it. And I played with two players at Chico that were both shorter than me and skinnier than me. And they threw 95 and 97 on the regular. And just the physics of their body, the physicality, like they had it and I didn't. And what I want to tell parents and coaches out there is don't try to get a kid who's throwing 88 to think he's going to throw 95. Let him throw 88 and push to 90, 91 and teach him off speed like Rob's talking about, fastball changeup. And the three probably fastest throwers in the history of the game, Araldis Chapman, if you go back and look when he was on the Cuban national team at 16, and even today, he is a physical specimen. He is an Adonis. His body is absolute perfection. And when you watch him throw, he coils up so much. The hitter can see his numbers in the back and his name on the back of his jersey. And when he comes through, if you watch his arm in slow motion, he has got so much whip to his arm. His pitching motion is absolutely perfection for throwing 105 miles an hour. It doesn't get better if you could take, if you could draw the perfect animation of a pitcher throwing a ball to throw hard, it is Araldis Chapman. Number two, Roger Clemens. That dude was a tank and a short armor. He just was able to throw 100 miles an hour. It was built into his arm. He was a really good workout warrior. He was, you know, he had huge legs. He could just bulldog through anything, but he was built for that. And you've got Nolan Ryan, in my opinion, he is the hardest thrower ever. His fastball is still in the Guinness Book of World Records, the fastest pitch ever, at 100.8 miles an hour. And it was, I believe, his 32nd start in 1964. And it was his 107th pitch in the eighth inning. And that dude worked out at eight years old so he could lift bales of hay with his dad on the farm. And when he would get done with a game, he would go work out for two hours right after the game. And I'm sure he's doing the same workout as everybody else, but his arm just had it in him. He's got high school players uh, that he played with on record saying that they had a brand new catcher's glove and Nolan Ryan threw it right past him in, in high school. There are guys who are just, they're, they're touched. They have the gift to throw 100 miles an hour. So if you're a parent, a coach, just, you know, even just somebody out there watching youth games, just recognize not every kid is going to throw 100 miles an hour. So don't push them to that. Teach them off speed. And if they do throw 100 miles an hour, do it the right way. So here's two tips I will give anybody out there listening that wants to get every kid around them better. Number one, just like Daniel said, have a purpose with every throw. If it's long toss, throw it farther than you did last time. And if you're up close, hit a spot. No, I don't care what spot it is. I don't care if it's left side, right side, high, low, upper corner, whatever it is. Pick a spot and throw it for location. Number two, if you're teaching a kid how to pitch with a good fastball, you should have your catcher four to six feet behind home plate so they learn to throw through the strike zone. And if they throw a good fastball, 
it's going to get to the same spot where the catcher is even six feet behind the plate and still be a strike. But if you teach them to throw through their target, they're going to be so much better than you would ever expect with both accuracy and velocity. There you go, man. Just there's some tip from all of us, man. Just and just so you guys know, we're just we're not just like three random dudes just talking like bullshit out here. Um, Rob went to a powerhouse baseball high school. Like the, the high school he went to was absolutely insane as far as the draft picks that came out of there. They have guys that are still in the major leagues today, and you know, I forget I forget their names right now. What's uh, Rick Porcello? Porcello's the big name out there. Porcello's one. Um, yeah, yeah. He's probably the biggest. He to is. Come out. I think. I think was Frankie Schwindel part of part of us in Hall Prep, or was he out in Livingston? I don't know, but he. I'm not even sure. Yeah, I think he was out, but yeah, the year I think the year that Porcello was there, which was I think 2008, 2009. I mean, Seton Hall hasn't been back there since, but Seton Hall was like the number one high school like baseball team for like a few weeks in the country, like when Porcello was there. So. Yeah, it's it's one of the top. I, I unfortunately wasn't able to be part of that team, but it, it's definitely one of the top programs. And yeah, it, it's just an insane amount of talent that comes out of there, man. Nick, as as we talked about before, man, Nick played high level JUCO as a pitcher, so you know pitching is kind of exactly what you want to hear from him. Um, we kind of just found out he's also an athletic freak. We might have to challenge him to some not video anymore. box not, not on anymore. Instagram. No, no, no. That, that was a long, that was decades ago. <laughs> yeah, he, he took that back back quick. I don't know, but it might be fun for the fans. <laughs> that was Looking a long time ago, fam. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I, I was lucky enough to coach on the college level. And I also played college, played a little bit afterwards. Again, like, when, when like as Nick mentioned, man, if you're good at one thing, which I was good at one thing, it, it gives you a lot of opportunities. So... You know, there you have it, man. We hope you guys, at the very least, learn something they can take from us. You know what I mean? Maybe, hopefully, it changes the way you think about, you know, what your kid should do athletically. And that's what we're here for, man. We're here to help. And, you know, as always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Find us on Facebook. I know I know we're all quarantined and we have no live sports, but trust me, the, the discussion has not stopped on our, on our Facebook page. We, we keep you entertained out there, man. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Toodles. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.